0: Hello, and welcome to Season 2, Episode 16 of LogiCast. I'm Carl Robinson, CEO and co-founder of Logicata, and I'm joined, as always, by my colleague, John Goodall. How are you doing today, John?
1: I'm okay. I'm slightly less full of cold. I'm I'm getting there.
0: Good. I'm glad the medication is working. Uh, And uh, we're also joined today by another very special guest. Uh, This week, we're joined by fellow AWS Community Builder, Danielle Heberling, um, from the west coast of the USA. How are you doing, Danielle?
2: Hey, y'all, uh, doing great. Just getting started in the morning here.
0: Yeah, we're just wrapping up for the day and uh, you're just getting started. Um, so uh, tell us a bit about yourself, Danielle, uh, who you are, what you do.
2: Yeah, totally, like Carl mentioned, uh, I'm also an AWS Community Builder, uh, been one since 2021. Um, currently, I'm a software engineer. Uh, I really like to focus on TypeScript and AWS serverless uh, services. I really love AWS SAM, CDK. Uh, Those are definitely two of my favorites. And um, yeah, I think beyond that, I just used to be a teacher. So I think it's still in me. I really love sharing my knowledge uh, with other people and continuously learning.
0: Nice. Well, I think there's a few things that you've said there that John will agree with, and apart uh, from TypeScript,
1: he, some Sack that he perhaps that right won't. Off.
0: I was actually going to ask Danielle if she's ever suffered um, from uh, our form of PTSD, uh, which is uh, Python to TypeScript stress disorder, uh, which is something that John has been suffering heavily from uh, PTSD uh, as he's been asked to transition from Python to TypeScript. Uh, but uh, yeah, perhaps he could use you as a source of, uh, of knowledge for that, Danielle. <laughs>
2: It's
0: not the yeah, knowledge, it's more the a, a little bit more than a little bit more than a little bit more as you'll know, if you little bit more than a little bit more than a week i cur- collate a list of AWS news, which I circulate in my AWS news roundup newsletter. Uh, and a once a week, John and I a uh, a subset of the articles from the newsletter that we want to talk about in more detail. So uh, this week, uh, we're going to follow that exact same format. And the first article that we have is a press release, which appeared on Business Wire last week, um, about uh, three new Amazon GuardDuty capabilities that AWS have announced to help protect container, database, and serverless workloads. So John, tell us a bit about these new uh, GuardDuty capabilities and what that means for customers.
1: Yeah, sure. So this article, you'll have to forgive me for picking it, is quite hard to read because it's a business article rather than a tech one. So very long, lots of small text, no diagrams. It it fails on basically every account. However, the content is kind of interesting. So there's three things that they've got in this article, and it's talking about container runtime protection for Elastic Kubernetes Service, EKS. Uh, more coverage for Aurora and support for serverless applications in Lambda. This is all quite cool, but that doesn't make any sense unless you know what guard duty is. So let's start there. It does go on ad nauseum in the article about guard duty, but the TLDR is it's kind of AI, kind of looking at logs, kind of doing a bit of witchcraft and, and common practices and all the rest of it to check for things like um, server compromise and people doing crypto mining in your account and all sorts of things that you don't necessarily want them to be doing that cost you money, damage your business, do your reputation and all that kind of thing. Guard Duty is kind of in the same space as things like Bitdefender and CrowdStrike and Sophos to an extent because they kind of have that. It's in the kind of the seam space, not quite a full-fledged seam tool, but it's in that kind of space. You do have to turn it on. It's not free. don't know the pricing off the top of my head, but it's competitive. It's reasonable. So, changes. First one, container runtime protection for EKS. So, it already had some EKS support. So, it was looking at control plane. It was looking at API access and and what that layer was doing. What this is now doing is this is adding, uh, what have they called it? They've called it runtime monitoring. So, that's The hosts that your containers are running on, the EC2s in practice, are now being monitored. This is good, we like this, this is good. Primarily for things like container escape because if you're running in a container, you escape the container, you're on the host, containers have a nasty habit if they're configured badly of running with very high privileges in the container and then they can run fairly highly privileged on the server itself, so all of this is bad. This is kind of helping you guard against that to an extent it's combining this with the other bits so it's looking at audit logs looking at the control plane it's looking at networking and you can kind of see how an attack is unfolding and kind of catch it early good very good no complaints there the next one extended coverage for data stored in aurora so again this is just looking at your aurora databases suspicious logins and all that kind of thing um i think it's it's bringing it more in line with what the rest of RDS is, is kind of covered for, I think. I don't really know, but it's kind of, again, looking at your back-end data, making sure it's protected and covered and all the rest of it. And then support for serverless applications in Lambda. So technically, the first one is could be serverless if you're running it in Fargate, but it's still talking about hosts, so they probably didn't want to talk about it like that. But the Lambda protection is quite good because, again, traditional methods in lambda is really hard because you have no access to the host you don't know where they are you don't know how they're provisioned they're probably they are running in a container but you have no access to the container and all of that so what this is doing is this is looking at the network communications in and out of the lambda to sort of check for things like crypto mining and callbacks to outside services and all the rest of it so all of these are good no complaints about any of them these are all great we like to see these I'm not so fond of the enormous quote from GE Digital because General Electric can just get in the bin. But there we are.
0: Well, we've always got to justify these things with the fact that people are actually using them. So uh, any thoughts on this one, Danielle? I know you're into your serverless. I can, I can tell by the lambda on the shelf behind you.
2: Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Yeah, I think uh, security is one of those things that it's, it's wildly important, but it's so easy for people to just be like, let's just bang out a few more features before we think about security. And I think having enhanced uh, services like Guard Duty that can do a lot of the stuff for you um, is pretty exciting and having it be a little more specialized for you know those EKS users, RDS and Lambda. So no complaints here. Nice.
0: Anything else to say about this one, John? Uh, Any more customers that you wish to badmouth before we move (laughs) on to the next article?
1: I'm only badmouthing GE because I I, I went to university with a guy that ended up working for GE and they really didn't do right by him. So I'm quite anti-GE, but it's personal.
0: Fair enough. (laughs) Let's not mention him. Uh, Let's skip uh, tactfully on to the next article that we want to talk about this week, uh, which is uh, entitled AWS ECS versus AWS Lambda top five main differences and I think I know what you're going to say about this one John because uh, I'm not really sure why they're comparing these two services uh, in the same article anyway because to my mind they're they're both rather different um, but um, yeah well have I preempted uh, no well, say, yes,
1: yes and no so the line between them got quite blurry when you were able to start running container images in Lambda so the line got really blurry and the fact that lambda runs in containers anyway again kind of blurs this but that's sort of a level you don't see i picked this one because i disagree with every single comparison (laughs) it's always good to disagree right disagree and commit so i mean if you if you look at the table scroll down about halfway and look at the table it says ecs is a high performing and scalable container management service yes it is okay Great. Compared with a function executing service that runs in response to triggers powered by a serverless environment. Okay. Also true. Technically, both of those can do that. Technically. And the, the thing continues, right? ECS only works with containers, point Docker registry blah, blah, blah. Lambda only requires you to write the code. Also true. Can also work with containers. And if you do that, you need to do the ECR and the registry. The one that I really disagree with, though, is line is comparison threats used for deploying Docker containers at scale, enterprise-grade applications versus used for small applications built with a few lines of code. No, one hundred percent, absolutely no. Go away with that. I mean, even things that I've built for us, things that we're building for customers, things that are built in previous roles, hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of Lambdas form one application as a holistic application. What this is showing is the author has fundamentally misunderstood a microservice application. And from for and that's disappointing, really disappointing.
0: What are your yeah. thoughts on this one, Danielle? You're obviously a big fan of serverless technologies.
2: Yeah, I have some thoughts on this one. Um, yeah, I'm kind of curious to learn a little more about the author. Because um, reading through it, it, I get the impression, which might be incorrect, um, is that they have very limited experience working with Lambda. Because um, to John's point, um, if you go through that um, comparison, uh, going to the second one about the only requires you to write code. Currently, it supports you know list of runtimes. But they completely left out the fact that you can have a custom runtime, the fact that you can, you know, deploy with a container image instead of a zip file. And then the one thing that I really disliked about this was um, right before the conclusion under where it says like ECS versus Lambda, how to choose, um, it says, you know, what is the size of my application? Large scale applications would be unmanageable on AWS Lambda. Um, that seemed a little, not a little, a lot, <laughs> um, excessive because it's like, how do you define what's unmanageable? Um, yeah, seemed, yeah.
0: So what uh, have you guys got some examples of large scale applications running in Lambda to counter that point?
1: Uh, Can we talk about one of our customers under
0: NDA? You can talk about them without mentioning their name, of course.
1: (laughs) So we have one of our customers that runs lots of background processing in, I think, 170-odd Lambdas. You cannot say that's not part of their application. This article, I think, is giving a very narrow view of what an application is because it's saying your application runs in ECS. Yeah, but is it running in one container or ten thousand? You know, it's kind of it's neither here nor there. Again, previous thing I built um, a whole event-driven serverless architecture. We dealt with user-generated content. We did moderation. Um, there was an API. There was you know all of that kind of good stuff. It fronted by an app, and that again was all serverless, all in lambdas, is an application you know a user looks at an app on their phone doesn't really care what's behind it it's an application how is how is that not an application the real difference i would say between ecs and lambda the the one thing they did get right is the runtime because lambda limits 15 minutes and that's a hard limit so if you do have something running longer than that don't really have a choice i mean i would probably break it up and use step functions but that's just because i'm a fanboy um, but the real hard limit for me is if you don't have the time or the patience or the skill or whatever to refactor out of things like long-running container workloads into shorter-running Lambda workloads. That's kind of the only real pick for me.
0: Cool. Anything else to add there, Daniel? Um
2: yeah, I think I think this article might have been a little more interesting to me if it was like a Fargate versus Lambda comparison, because um, I feel like those are a little more comparable versus something like ECS.
0: Yeah, I think Fargate did get a mention in the article, or did I read about that in another article? Did it get a mention in here somewhere? Mm.
2: Um, yeah, it did.
0: Yeah, uh, but perhaps not as much of a mention as you got, you would have liked.
2: Yeah, I think that might have been a little more interesting to me. Uh, yeah.
0: yeah, yeah, fair enough. Well, Rodolfo, um, sorry uh, that we've ripped your article apart, uh, but uh, you know, feel free to uh, to comment uh, or or even come and defend yourself uh, on a future episode of of Logicast. But let's move on to the next article for this week, uh, which is uh, uh, from the AWS Database blog, um, and uh, it's an article entitled "Reduce Data Archiving Costs for Compliance by Automating." Amazon RDS snapshot exports to S3. Try saying that without your teeth in. Uh, it's a very long uh, long-winded title. Uh, but uh, tell me a bit more about what this one's about, John.
1: I'm disappointed that it wasn't an article to test your pop filter because that's always fun.
0: <laughs> it's still working, I think.
1: <laughs> <laughs> okay, so there's two points to this. Um When you do backups out of RDS, they're for two reasons. One of them is for redundancy and recovery and making sure you hit your RTO and RPO objectives. Um, I'm not going to define those now. And the other is for compliance. So in, say, the UK, you have to keep X number of years of tax records. I think it's six years. Um, If you're kind of covering that in your database, you have to be able to clear out certain data compliant to the GDPR. There's kind of a whole bunch of things that you need to store and be able to not store and all that that's very hard to do in the scope of a backup file because it's a binary it's a waving my hands around out of shot it's a blob it's a binary object it's just a thing you can't really manipulate them what this is doing is this is showing you a way of automating a regular export into something that you can see the data that's cool but it's only useful for compliance because you can't restore from that data because it spits it out in a CSV or in a parquet, 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 parquet format. Um, so you can't use it for recovery, but you can use it to keep, say, the FCA off your back by saying, yes, we've got the data. This is weirdly for databases, a serverless solution. It is using AWS Glue, which always makes me think of horses for some reason. I must be a nasty person, but there <laughs> we are. Um, but yeah, so this is a serverless solution using backup, using Lambdas, using event bridge, and it's giving you that data encrypted with KMS in a format that you can satisfy the regulators that you've got X number of years of backups, but without having to store six seven eight nine ten years of two four five ten terabyte databases you've just got the data out of them which is kind of what they want rather than the big backup files which is what people traditionally would have done
0: so uh, we do like to debate pronunciation of technical terms uh, on the podcast on a regular <laughs> basis so i'm curious danielle are you in the uh, the parquet or the parquet camp
2: uh, i think i'm parquet camp
0: Yeah, I think I'm parquet on this one as well. Um, But uh, yeah. Well, it's it's, a French
1: uh, word, so we should ask a Frenchman to pronounce it wrong.
0: Well, if it was parquet, it would have double T E on the end of it. So uh, yeah, so I think it's definitely parquet. But, you know, many, uh, many foreign words are mispronounced by the industry on a regular basis. Uh, and particularly by certain people that we, uh, that we we don't want to keep picking on them on, on every episode. But uh, yeah. And we've, we were also debating some other things which are not relevant to this article at all uh, last week. I think there was DKIM um, mm. and uh, something else as well. But we do like to debate uh, pronunciation of things on a, on a fairly regular basis. Um, anything else to add about this article, Danielle? Did you have any thoughts on this one?
2: Um, yeah, I think this is a pretty interesting solution. Um, it actually kind of reminds me of something that we did at a – former startup of mine. Um, and we exported the Parquet files to S3, but then we ingested them into um, Snowflake. So that was pretty cool. Um, so like instead of using the glue stuff, we would use Snowflake to query. And very nice interface. Um, can totally understand why AWS didn't include that, because they want to keep you in their ecosystem. But um, I think you could take diagrams like this and kind of um, add your own flavor to them. So these are always kind of cool to see for like a nice starting point. If you don't want to do exactly what they tell you to do.
1: It's like yeah, every there's... article that includes QuickSight. take that out, put Tableau in because you're a normal person.
2: Exactly. <laughs> yes.
0: <laughs> but uh, the AWS CEO used to work for Tableau, didn't he? So uh, I'm sure he's got some, some good insights to feed into QuickSight, site um, to, uh, to try and make QuickSight more of a, credible tableau competitor uh, but uh, you know third party vendors are available but you're not going to find much about them on the aws database blog i don't think so um,
1: well they've been getting better at that I, I call it personal growth on the on the part of the blogging team but they've started talking about things like terraform which is like five years ago you just never caught them doing that so i think they're getting there
0: yeah
1: yeah yeah fair enough have we got anything else to say about this one guys or should
0: we skip along to the next article
1: I think the only thing I'd add is I kind of alluded it alluded to it earlier about the the data retention because you're not storing these enormous backup files it's a lot cheaper to do this than keeping the backup files right the traditional way of meeting this compliance requirement in an on premises premises way of doing things would be you take your regular snapshot you write them off to the tape you send that tape to an iron warehouse vault somewhere you know leave it lock and key in a fireproof safe and that's that obviously that's not really viable in the AWS world because you're not going to be able to take a truckload of tapes out of AWS for the sake of your backup. Even if you are NASA, they just won't let you. So this is very important because if you do need to meet these compliance requirements, you do have to do it. And I don't mean want to, I mean have to if you want to stay profitable in the most cost-effective way. So that's a very important thing here. And they do have um, a cost comparison Section three quarters, five sixths of the way, most of the way down um, versus, you know, snapshots versus exports to F3 standard versus Glacier and all the rest of it. You know, it's things like $1,000 for 50 gigabytes for two years in backups or $60 to export it to Glacier. So that's that's an enormous amount of money.
0: Another interesting pronunciation point I'm going to pick up on there. Glacier versus Glacier. Are you Glacier or Glacier, Daniel?
2: uh i like to say glacier glacier kind of slightly different
1: (laughs) i always thought that was just the american pronunciation
2: probably
0: yeah yeah but aws is an american company so you know maybe we have to go with some of their pronunciations at times (laughs) Uh,
1: and uh, i was also
0: curious just to pick up on something you said there john you mentioned iron warehouse i wasn't sure if you did that deliberately so as to avoid mentioning the name of the vendor or if you just got the name of the vendor wrong
1: um i know there is a vendor it's got iron and it's got I, yeah 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 it's
0: definitely not warehouse but uh, anyway let's not <laughs> plug their services uh, any more than we need to so uh moving swiftly on uh to uh, the next article this week and it's about the layoffs again. So we've spoken about the Amazon layoffs on a number of occasions, um, but obviously uh, they have now begun. Uh, and this is kind of intertwined with the, the final article this week, of course, AWS results being announced last week. Um, but um, yeah, the article is on Forbes and it's entitled Amazon's mass layoffs have begun uh, should investors be worried. Um, so um, Amazon has officially kicked off uh, the 9,000 layoffs. I think but about 6,000 of which are within AWS. So uh, what are your thoughts on this guys?
1: I always sad to see layoffs. I really am. It's it's never good, right? At the end of the day there's 9000 layoffs. Okay, whatever, you know, the market will react how the market reacts and the market has this voracious appetite for growth rather than stability. That's 9000 people, talented people that have to go find another job. That's just no fun. The bottom end of the article talks about concern to investors and all the rest of it and yeah i get it it's a forbes article that's what they're going to talk about layoffs generally speaking at large firms mean stock prices go up because costs go down at least short term so do investors need to care short term no just no and end of conversation should they care longer term is this a pattern that aws is going to start snowballing and go down the drain i highly doubt that i really don't i really doubt that even though that their growth is slowing they're still pulling in, what was it from last week, a projected $85 billion of, of either revenue or profit, which is such an eye-wateringly large amount of money that you can't even conceptualise it. So should investors be worried? Nah.
0: Yeah, the article does mention at the bottom that uh, stock price uh, went up 2.6% um, uh, on the on the announcement. So, yeah, short-term, the markets have reacted positively. What are your thoughts on this, Daniel?
2: Yeah, I always think it's a shame to see even more layoffs. Um, in, in this case, like I was a little surprised that like AWS was involved um, because, you know, it's the most profitable, profitable sector of the, the Amazon family of things. Um, I think that's probably what most, maybe mo- what most people were surprised with. So yeah, definitely a shame, I think. And um, hopefully uh, this doesn't become a trend Uh, in particular with Amazon, AWS. Um, Yeah, I just wonder if, you know, some of this might be on the company itself because, you know, during the pandemic, there was a lot of uh, excessive Amazon ordering. So they hired a lot without kind of fully thinking through, um, you know, will this work long-term? And, you know, these are real people with, you know, children and people that, they need to take care of uh, with their salaries. And I think a lot of times stockholders and executives uh, don't necessarily think that way. So kind of a shame, but I guess this is the world we live in. So.
0: It is the world we live in and it is a it, it is a huge number, um, but in, in terms of the overall uh, number that Of people that Amazon actually employ, it's a relatively uh, small percentage, which is perhaps a a kind of a more colder, calculated way of looking at it. But, you know, at the end of the day, Amazon is a business and, uh, you know, it has to drive shareholder value. It has to to make money. It has to drive profit uh, from that money. And, um, you know, I think we're going to come on to talk in the next article about how growth has slowed. I mean, it was actually quite depressing reading through the news this morning because uh, I, I, I check the news every day, which is where these articles come from. And, uh, it was a long weekend this weekend. So I had, uh, I think four days worth of news to trawl through, uh, this morning and it was all so negative, you know, about how Amazon is slowing down. The future of cloud is dark and blah, blah, blah. Well, actually that's not the case at all, really. I think, you know, we're just seeing a little bit of a reset here. Um, you know, we as a business are constantly helping our customers to optimize their AWS costs, uh, as our, um, all other AWS partners and AWS themselves. So it's not as if uh, AWS is hemorrhaging customers. Uh, they're just helping those customers to spend less money, either by modernizing or by you know moving from Intel CPUs to Graviton CPUs or whatever else. These are all things which are you know really beneficial to the customer. So we should shouldn't lose sight of that, in my opinion. So. So let's uh, we've alluded to the final article for this week, but it's, this is about the results. And uh, interestingly, um, I think um, I don't know whether uh, the CNBC reporter reads my weekly news roundup, but the error that I highlighted in this article has mysteriously been corrected uh, because when <laughs> i when i picked this article out or when i mentioned it in my news article uh, my news roundup uh, video last week the headline said amazon's 16% cloud revenue growth impresses even as margins narrow and it then went on to talk about an 18% revenue growth uh, in the body text which uh, which is now since been corrected. Um, so uh, thank you for that, CNBC, and uh, Jordan. Great to know that you guys are listening to me. And uh, I think actually <laughs> probably somebody else pointed that error out. Uh, but um, yeah, so uh, you know we, we spoke about this in, in in the previous episode, John. That um, I think uh, the forecasts were as dire as six percent revenue growth. So they've beaten those forecasts. Um, but, uh, you know, it is a bit of a growth slowdown. Um, so, uh, again, let's just let's just talk a bit more about that because we've, we've kind of covered it off already. Uh, but let, let's talk some more to that.
1: Yeah. So, I mean, last week we spoke about it in that article and it, 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 the, that article couldn't make its mind up whether it was 6 percent or 16 percent. 16 percent appears to have been roughly correct. And let's let's not beat around the bush here. This is still growth. This is 16% growth on, on, what's it saying here, on revenue from AWS of best part of $21 billion, right? That's, that's, that's a vast amount of money. I'd never need to work again, and neither would any of my descendants for 10 generations, right? It's a ridiculous sum of money. So this is still growth, right? And this is where we're kind of blending between the two articles. We're not growing fast enough, so we need to get rid of some people, Maybe this is because I should just never work for an enormous corporate again. But that always that doesn't wash with me. That just doesn't. We're not growing fast enough, so the share price is dropping, so we have to get rid of some people to grow the balance sheet. Right. Okay. So then what happens when the growth picks up again on the balance sheet and then we need more, some, some more people? Around the wheel goes. I've worked in some big corporates where they had um, you know, annual layoffs just for the sake of exiting poor performers. And it was always a horrific time to be around. Fortunately, this isn't that, but it's still growth at the end of the day. I think the only thing I would draw attention to that's a negative in this article is their operating margin has dropped. So it's the lowest since it's been since 2017. And that's just kind of it, right? Their, their margins have narrowed. So their revenue is good, their profit is okay, but it's not as good as it used to be. And I think that's what's driving all of the the noise and the misanthropy about this.
0: What are your thoughts on this one, Danielle?
2: Yeah, I definitely agree with what John said. Um, just to add to that, it's kind of interesting how like, you know, they go through this whole, you know, talking about growth slowing, but then at the very end, they talk about uh, opening the the new region in Malaysia um, to kind of conflict a little bit. So it's like growth is slowing, but they're still growing. Um, Yeah, I don't know. That felt a little like maybe it should have been a separate article to me instead of just like a sentence at the bottom. But I don't understand what goes through uh, these news writers' heads. (laughs)
0: Yeah, that's a good point. It's a very good point. Um, But uh, yeah, it's 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 a really interesting one. And I think you know, although the growth is slowing, as I said, I don't think you know the pace of people migrating to the cloud is slowing anytime soon and I don't think you know the, the march of people adopting uh, cloud native services serverless technologies and so on and so forth is slowing down the adoption of uh, you know new CPU technology is slowing down everything else it's just that uh, you know one of Amazon's core principles and I'm, I'm going to forget Um, the the specific wording of it now, but it's it's to always uh, reduce prices where they can for customers. Um, You know, uh, that as uh, customers grow um, uh, or as Amazon grows, one of the core founding principles is that those prices should continue to drop. Um, And and, and that's what we're seeing. You know, uh, Amazon are offering more and more services, which are much better value for money for customers. Customers are adopting them. And of course, that's going to make the growth slow down. Um, doesn't mean that uh, you know people are turning their backs on cloud. That uh, you know we've had we've talked about cloud repatriation before. It doesn't mean people are leaving cloud or deciding not to go cloud. It just means that the people who are already in the cloud are spending less money because they're drinking the Kool Aid. They're buying the technology that helps them to reduce those costs. So um, yeah, I think you know I think we're going to see it bounce back. Um, but uh, let's see. But the press the press love some negative press. So as I say, it was very depressing this morning reading through all the doom and gloom about, you know, it's the end of the road for cloud. Uh, It's just not.
1: um, I think to touch on Danielle's point as well earlier about um, Amazon purchases in the pandemic, there would have been an enormous, and I know I was involved in some of it, Massive rapid migrations of workloads that you wouldn't have thought people would have moved to the cloud during kind of 2020, early start, first half, second half of 2020. Right. There was a, a local firm to us, well publicized Crunch, that is local accounting company. And their DR strategy was Edibus Workspaces. So they did that, they just did that carte blanche. Right. And I think the register got an enormous write up on this. is well worth a read. But that's really expensive, and they worked out that was really expensive after about month two. Like They knew it was going to cost money, but they turned it on to get everyone going, and it gave them breathing space. And I suspect there was a lot of that that happened, and that drove very rapid revenue growth in the first half and second half of 2020 that's petered out since then as people have moved away from these kind of DR emergency, we have to go now positions to much more thought out carefully considered positions and pandemic over apparently so we're not in that kind of phase anymore so i think that's certainly driving a slowing in growth because people are just turning off things that weren't architected properly
0: yeah the panic purchases uh, have been optimized or uh, returned i guess So uh, on that note, uh, we have unfortunately ran out of time. Um, So uh, thank you very much, Danielle, uh, for agreeing to join us as a guest today. We hope it wasn't too harrowing for you. And uh, thank you, John, uh, for your input as always. So that was uh, Season 2, Episode 16 of Logicast. Thanks for listening. We'll be back again next week with another episode for you.